This is Archaic. In this episode, we're going to explore the suspicions revolving around Maude Crawford's husband, Clyde, police investigation, and theories of the locals. Episode 16 The Desolation of Clyde. He was considered unusual in many respects for one thing. He wasn't the breadwinner of his own family. Clyde Crawford had worked as a foreman for Camden Furniture Company in earlier years. He was fired for being unable to get satisfactory results not from his employer or from customers, but the people who had worked under him. Matthew Rothert, his employer, has said he was very smart. He could handle tools and most any other job, but he couldn't handle people. There were two foul play theories when the Washita County lawyer disappeared from her home March 2nd, 1957. Either her husband killed her or she knew too much about somebody's business. and they got rid of her. An FBI report on March 6th stated that Cole considered Clyde Crawford, the husband, the most logical suspect. Many people in Camden agreed. Crawford, 62, quiet, easygoing man, was suspected of killing his wife because he had had the opportunity and he was peculiar. State Police Investigator Buck Halsell Dumas said in a March 13th report after the disappearance on March 2nd that the missing link in the case might be the fact there was a period between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. that we only have Clyde Crawford's word as to where he was. Ralph D. Scott Conway was an FBI resident agent at Camden 
at the time. He did not investigate the disappearance because the FBI did not enter the case. A decision that Scott maintains was proper, as there was no legal justification for entry. However, he was kept informed of the developments. Scott speculated about the opportunity Crawford had to kill his wife. And that night was about as sorry a night as you can visualize. Winter, fog, mist, so heavy you could hardly see 50 feet. Most likely it was more like 10. It was like pea soup, the thickness of it. He had a pickup truck. There was an unaccounted for time when he was driving around. He had the opportunity to dispose of the body without being detected. He could have pitched it in the river. Anybody could have. Yes, other people suspected Clyde for his unusual ways, like not being necessarily the man with the pants on in the family. A.K.A. The Breadwinner. Which would have bothered most men. Still bothers them today. If their wife makes too much or more than they do, they tend to feel a little inferior, perhaps. Crawford was self-employed as a floor finisher and a cabinet maker, working out of a work woodworking shop in a garage at the back of his home. Although his work was regarded in the Camden community as exceptional in quality, his typical income before his wife's disappearance, though, was less than $500 a year, translated in 2023 terms, that would be approximately $5,200. Poverty. According to tax returns found in personal effects inherited by Clyde Crawford's nephew, James A. Jimmy Crawford of Grapevine, Clyde told me that he only paid the payments on his pickup truck and the utilities. Maude paid all the rest. Former Sheriff Grover Linebearer, another investigator on the case, had said that Crawford was considered unusual because he had a nightly routine that people said they could set their watches by. The routine included attending a movie at a local theater, the Malco, Rialto, or Strand, then drinking a beer, watching the late-night news on television at a favorite liquor store. After that, he would return home with a six-pack of beer to drink while he read magazines or books until he fell asleep. The amount of beer that Clyde drank raised eyebrows. Investigator Otis A. Henley of El Dorado, Arkansas, noted in a state police report March 15th 
He drank seven cans of beer each night before going to bed. But this particular Saturday night, March 2nd, 1957, he'd only drink five. The nature of the magazines and books that Clyde Crawford read were also considered a little sus. But Clyde had about three stacks of detective magazines with sexual angles and nude pictures, Linebearer said. After his wife disappeared, it has been learned that Crawford, Clyde, asked a neighbor to keep a large framed nude photograph of Marilyn Monroe out of fear that the picture would cost him and cast him in a negative light. What man back then didn't have a picture of Marilyn Monroe nude? It's only the most famous Playboy magazine of all time, not to mention the most worth. Crawford's interest in sex angles and nudes extended to voyeurism, according to several sources. Maddie, Mrs. Herbert C. Garner, who kept the Marilyn Monroe picture for Crawford, said he knew what people hung out on their clothesline. He knew what kind of panties a woman wore. After all, as it is in Camden today, the residents have very little less and more to do than stare out the window at their neighbors. Anyone who knows or has ever been to Camden would know that as of that day, opposed to this day, things haven't much changed. Many young women lived in the Crawford house over the years because during World War II, there was a shortage of furnished rooms in Camden for working women. And Maude Crawford began renting rooms upstairs to young women. Also, she helped rear several female cousins and they lived from time to time in the house. One of these women said recently that she became frightened of Crawford and moved out when he became enamored of her and began following her everywhere she went. Another woman who lived in the house as a young girl said, when we had all those telephone girls there, he'd stand at the bottom of the stairs and look up their dresses. However, a half dozen other women who roomed at the house have said they found him a very jovial, friendly person, always very nice. Overall, it seemed to many people that Clyde was weird. And because he was weird, he most likely killed his wife. Because being weird and peculiar must make you a murderer. These are reasons to discount the theories.
Investigators found that Crawford had no motive for killing his wife. An FBI report filed March 7th, five days after the disappearance, said Clyde is still receiving attention as the prime suspect, but according to Otis Henley, Arkansas State Police, he would not receive a substantial benefit should death be established, as she only carried about $15,000 life insurance. Crawford, Clyde, is the beneficiary. Henley is not aware of substantial additional assets of Mrs. Crawford. He personally does not consider Clyde a good suspect because she bought him everything he wanted. And why would he kill the goose that laid the golden egg? Maud and Clyde Crawford were married in 1925 when they were both in their early 30s. He had a nervous breakdown several years after the marriage, and it's said that after that, she took care of him like a baby. Maude Crawford was a lawyer for the firm of Gone, McClellan, and Laney, specializing in title opinions and estate administration. She earned only a modest salary as a lawyer, not enough for investments or savings of any consequence. Her life insurance policies were being held as collateral against personal loans. One, a $7,000 loan, which in today's translation would be approximately $73,935 in 2023. This loan was made six months before her disappearance for restoration and refurbishment of the Crawford's 50-year-old home. D.W. Harrell owned an insurance agency and a savings and loan company and was asked by Clyde to handle his wife's estate. An employee of Harrell said Maud didn't have a nickel. We sold the boat she had given to Clyde and sold the Mercury, her car. More recent theories revolve around the dogs. And does anyone even know for a fact that while Clyde was gone, that the dog was even there? People speculate that he might have taken the dog with him. Why would he do this? Let's just say, what if someone told him not to be there that night. He could have had the dog in the truck the whole time he was in the movies. Did anyone really see him at the movies? Most likely for an alibi. And perhaps that's why the dog was found to be just sitting there as if nothing happened because he didn't know that something had happened. Perhaps Clyde could have been warned, maybe even in a naive way, because it's hard to believe that he wouldn't have some kind of idea of what was going on between Maud and Mike 
part. What if someone said, we need to come over and have a discussion with your wife. We don't need you to be here. Or perhaps it was a direct threat that Clyde knew that it was going to go down that night. And was warned, perhaps to the effect of, we've got a problem to solve, and if you're here, we'll solve you too. In essence, saying to him, stay gone, or you be gone. This is another theory that a local resident of Camden that I interviewed recently came up with, and it was one that I hadn't thought of. The dog not being there at all. What proof does anybody have? Because allegedly she'd been there alone all night. Interesting. Now, back to our story. Maud Crawford was generous to her husband with what she earned. Nine months before her disappearance, she purchased for him a large outboard motorboat, twin 30 horsepower engines. Clyde was quoted in a newspaper, she was always mighty good to me. I wanted a boat awful bad, and I said something about it, and I'd seen this boat, but as I said, of course, we couldn't afford it. She said, I don't know, maybe you can have the boat. And she figured around it, and about a week later, said I could buy it. She also bought a GMC pickup truck for him. Jack W. Newton sold the truck to Crawford's. Maude, come on down and looked at it. She said, would you like to have this one? He said, yes. She said, go on, take it. She supplied the money. Newton said he was harmless, nervous, came out of the service that way. As he was, after all, a veteran. He was seen as friendly, though different. And in those days, of course, war could change people in a way that those living back then simply didn't understand. It was learned that the Crawfords had a very friendly relationship, despite the fact that they had few compatible interests and rarely socialized together in public. Quote, I never saw them do anything together, but there never seemed to be any disagreement between them. Hazel, Mrs. Sam Redding, the next-door neighbor to the Crawfords, said in an interview, All four women who were living in the home at the time of the disappearance have been asked about the Crawfords' relationship. Although husband and wife had slept in separate bedrooms for many years, all four women said no disagreement ever observed during the five years one or more of them lived in the Crawford home. Jimmy Crawford said of his uncle, he could go fishing, drink beer whenever he wanted. She was good to him and he loved Maud. A lifelong acquaintance quoted, 
He never was a big success in the business world, but he was a good, honest person. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Clyde, it appears, made every possible effort to find his wife. Chief Cole said he worked as hard, I reckon, as a man could in trying to help us. Marjorie Laney recalled that Crawford contacting her husband, Walter, who was a partner in the law firm where Maude worked. Clyde had called Laney Sunday morning to ask if he knew of any case she was working that would have made her leave home. A next-door neighbor, Jean Dotson, was a teenager at the time. I remember Mr. Crawford coming over the next morning about 10 or 11 o'clock and asking if my father to look in two storage buildings we had in the back. FBI reports indicate that Crawford made every attempt to encourage vigorous investigation of the case. Three days after the disappearance on March the 5th, he requested that the FBI place a missing persons notice on record and ask Walter Laney of the firm McClellan and Laney that Senator John L. McClellan be called to see if he could get the federal government to be of any assistance. Numerous references in subsequent reports reveal that Crawford maintained constant contact with all investigators and expressed extreme interest long after they had stopped active investigation. Of course, as you may remember, after only two weeks, this case had gone cold. Crawford, Clyde, had been questioned many times by the police, county sheriff, and state detective. He was examined by Dr. Anderson Nettleship. the state medical examiner, and was found to be most cooperative and completely normal. Clyde asked to be given a lie detector test. Henley remembers. We gave Clyde a couple of lie detector tests, and he checked out. We checked Clyde in every way. All investigators who worked on the case became convinced that Clyde Crawford had nothing to do with his wife's disappearance. Chief Cole recalls, At first I thought Clyde might have done it. He had all those detective stories. The stories almost always show ways the killer gets caught. I thought he might try to pull the perfect crime, but I don't think he did. He had everything to lose. That night of the disappearance, 
my boys, so I'm out looking for her. J.T. Vaughn, one of the two patrolmen who saw Clyde searching for his wife, said, At first I thought Clyde might have done it, but I told him and talked to him lots of times, and he was always so upset about her being gone. I don't think he had anything to do with it. She was so good to him. She did everything for him. Paul Parrish, the other patrolman, stated flatly, I know Clyde Crawford didn't have anything to do with it. A lot of times I see Mr. Crawford up there at the station. He'd hear about someone and say, I guess that's my mod. He always expected her to come back. Buck Housel, state police investigator who raised questions in the beginning of the case about the time unaccounted for, now says, I was convinced that Clyde didn't do it. I don't believe he was that kind of man. He had no history of violence. Sheriff Linebarrier was also convinced. To satisfy myself about Clyde, I gave a list of questions to several people. If a criminal commits a crime, he'll mess up if questioned enough. Clyde never missed a question. He added, I don't blame him for waiting to give Maud a chance to come home that night. Clyde Crawford became unable to support himself after his wife's discreet departure. Maddie, Mrs. Herbert C. Garner, who owned the corner grocery store a half block from the Crawford home, said people were afraid of him and nobody would let him in their house. Marie, Mrs. Lloyd R. Good, a neighbor, had recalled he would do floors and he'd say that the women wouldn't stay around unless their husbands were there. He said, I think they think I did it. A confidential source recalled a conversation Crawford had with one Emmett Gone, a partner in his wife's law firm. And Clyde went to Emmett's office and broke down and cried. What's going to happen to me? I can't work anymore, Emmett said. It was a terrible thing to happen to a person. An FBI report, July 16th, four and a half months after the disappearance, stated Clyde Crawford, husband of the missing person, obviously becomes more unstable physically, emotionally, and mentally with each passage time. FBI reports two weeks later. An FBI report two weeks later said Clyde Crawford is attempting to correspond with the missing person through the local Social Security Administration office. This office has advised him it will, for a $3 fee, attempt to cause the delivery of a letter to any person having a social security number. But it has been made clear that he will never know whether it was possible to even deliver the letter. The letter that Clyde wrote to his wife has been found 
and the Crawford personal effects. It was attached to an envelope with Clyde Crawford's return address in the upper left-hand corner. Stamps, not cancelled, in the upper right corner. And a blank space where Maude Crawford's name and address normally would have been. The carefully handwritten letter reads, quote, Dear Maude, please come home. I love you and miss you so much. Every day, someone wants to know if I've heard from you. Everyone wants you to come home. I walk down, her Dalmatian, every day, as you always did, up to about two weeks ago. It has been so hot, and he couldn't take it. He's begun to show his age. I drive your car every Sunday morning to keep the battery up. Car sure drives good, uses so little gas. Sam Redding is a grandpa now. Sarah has a little girl. Kathy, a little boy. Floor business has not been too good, Maud. And we're all looking forward to the day you come home. Please make it soon. Clyde Crawford believed his wife would come back. Maddie Garner said he kept waiting for her to come home. He wouldn't change the locks. He would leave the back door open. He didn't have any money. When he got low, he would sell off something in the shop. We bought some furniture from him, but he never changed anything in the house. The hair in her brush was still there. Her washcloth on the tub stayed there. The tablecloth on the table rotted. Sheriff Linebearer said, A year before Clyde died, he said to me, I've about come to the conclusion that something did happen to Maud. Clyde Crawford died June 18, 1969, never knowing what happened to his wife. This has been episode 16, Maud Crawford, part 3. This is the part three of a four-part series. The fourth part will revolve around possible confessions, burials, burial theories, and more. So stick around. Things are about to get really interesting. And now, please welcome Mark Caesar. I'm on it.
This episode's closing out. This is Archaic. I'm Matt Mello. Stronger than what the hundred proof is Blowing up my line like a nuisance Got lines on me like a damn blueprint Make her take it off of me like the coupe lid She'll take it off like the coupe lid She got some passion that blow my mind She'll take it off like the coupe lid She let me know that it's only mine She'll take it off like the coupe lid From the car to the crib like it's overtime She'll take it off like the coupe lid It's one of a kind, no paradigm Omega to a Rolex, still an alpha My hair stand from her touch, alfalfa I won't give them no names, can't outcha Patient confidentiality like a doctor Body on body like toe tag She get loud on the pipe like a flow mask See you coming out the shower like oh yes Let me get it again, I can't go yet I ain't get shit off of a trust fund So sometimes I ain't there to get the love from But a greyhound to the money like bus runs I burn flour in the band while we cut some Any event that I'm at you be the plus one Once we get out the dugout I crush one Maybe in a coat room if it's a plush one Can't be too loud you gotta hush some Put that design all over your body Cause anything less is a blemish But what it require for Dolce Gabbana Means that I'm going endless You gon' make that booty bounce like a check hit Do it on the freeway, we reckless Hit the gas when you least expect it Try and fit it all in like Tetris I am who I am, no excuses I'ma count down to what the truth is When I give it to you straight, that's ruthless Say I'm the best, but I'll show you where the proof is Stronger than what the hundred proof is Blowing up my line like a nuisance Got lines on me like a damn blueprint Make her take it off of me like the coupe lid She'll take it off like the coupe lid She got some passion that blow my mind She'll take it off like the coupe lid She let me know that it's only mine She'll take it off like the coupe lid From the car to the crib like it's overtime She'll take it off like the coupe lid It's one of a kind, no paradigm Yo, that's one of a kind, how you do it? You like VIP, it's exclusive I'm watching you grow to some newness Getting bands off of some you shit Like let's take a trip to Belize Watch you swim in the barrier reef Then we swimming bare in the sheet you and me like a nautical fleet Wanna see you riding with Bugatti on the bezel We gon' get it off the seat like John Gotti with the metal No pole on me, but at the crib probably several I protect my jewels and you something that I treasure I'm just trying to keep you on a wait time Take the whole day, you ain't gotta take five Let them talk about the way that you take mine You can climb with me right up the grapevine Fantasy Island don't come with a lease But it come with baguettes and summers and grease Leaving food on the table, that's freedom to me Got enough here that we could eat for three Had to go figure out who I am Before I brought you to the plan Conversing through sex, I'm a man The rest ain't meant to understand I am who I am, no excuses I'ma count down to what the truth is When I give it to you straight, that's ruthless Say I'm the best, but I'll show you where the proof is Stronger than what the hundred proof is Blowing up my line like a nuisance Got lines on me like a damn blueprint Make her take it off of me like the coupe lid She'll take it off like the coupe lid She got some passion that blow my mind She'll take it off like the coupe lid She let me know that it's only mine She'll take it off like the coupe lid From the car to the crib like it's overtime She'll take it off like the coupe lid It's one of a kind, no paradigm